0: Hello and welcome to a recovered episode of the Clever Kids Podcast. This is your host, Tyler. We had some technical difficulties recording this week's episode and then unfortunately lost the whole episode. Um, It was supposed to be about Cobra Kai and Brian and Jeff shared their thoughts and I thought they had really good things to say about the series as a whole, but uh, unfortunately uh, it's unrecoverable. So instead of skipping a week and giving everybody nothing, I went ahead and found the first episode that we ever recorded. We never intended to release this, it was sort of a practice episode, but the topic is really good and the discussion that we have is actually really, really good. So um, I think it's worth releasing. Uh, it's on War Movies. Everybody uh, who listens should know that Jeff really loves 1917, it's one of his favorite movies of all time. And he really wanted to talk about it about on the first episode and I feel like uh, we had a really good discussion. So a few things you're going to notice. Call ourselves the Spitballers Podcast at the beginning of the episode. Obviously, we changed the name. I'm going to say things like, uh, this was never meant to, this is never going to be recorded. Or uh, when we start releasing episodes, we should do this. Um, There's also going to be some really, really, really rough editing. Unfortunately, I can't go in because I don't have the individual audio files. and clean up the editing. Now that I'm much better at editing, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's still worth listening to or uh, releasing. I um, also wanted to quickly come in and say we now have an email address. You can uh, reach us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail dot com. So send in any topic ideas or any uh, you know questions or things you'd like to say to any of the kids on this podcast. So without any further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and play the intro music now. Hello and welcome to the Spitballers podcast where three brothers examine all aspects of popular culture. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm here with my co-hosts. Hey Brian here and and jeff great welcome guys uh so we're just gonna get right into it today um we're gonna be talking about war movies specifically 1917 but i think it's gonna kind of become a discussion of what the best war movies are and i think brian has a case to make for what he thinks the best war movie is um first up though we're gonna see Uh, what we've all been doing. So does anyone have any recommendations that they want to talk about this week? Things that you guys have been into, getting into, watching, reading, playing?
1: Uh, I just finished this morning Full Metal Alchemist, which I know that you guys don't care about anime, but I know that most people that do watch anime have already probably watched it. But if you haven't yet, you should probably go check it out.
0: I wouldn't say that I don't care about anime. It's not necessarily the biggest part of popular culture that I pay attention to, but I've watched some Full Metal Alchemist and all the stuff that was on, uh, what was it called, Toonami back in the day, Sailor Moon and (laughs) and Gundam and Cowboy Bebop and all of that stuff. I watched those. I didn't watch them super religiously or anything, but I thought they were fun. There is this one scene in Sailor Moon that I think about often where like, this girl was in town. I told this to Kelly the other day. Um, this girl's in town talking to them, and she's talking about, like, how her dad died. And then she stands up and says, excuse me, I need to cut an onion. And just goes into the kitchen and cuts an onion while just openly weeping as if that is the way <laughs> to distract. And what? it's so ridiculous, it's just stuck with me forever. But anyway, yeah, so I Full am, Metal uh, Alchemist. Oh, what was it?
2: I think about Sailor Moon a lot, too. But... <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay what were you gonna say about full metal
1: yeah i was gonna it's just a recommendation i I like it you know i i I enjoy watching shows for their subtext as much as i enjoy the action and uh, full metal alchemist has a lot to do with morality and and human sacrifice and uh ethics which it's just good subtext for a show um as well as having fun action and convincing characters
0: now brian do you know anything about full metal alchemist
2: I don't. This is a new one to me. To be honest with you, they're Jeff, all new give, to you. Yeah. So, Full Metal Alchemist. Give
1: him a rundown. Full Metal Alchemist. It's uh, in a world in which humans are capable of alchemy. Alchemy is the science of transmuting a substance into another substance. So, alchemically transmuting water into gold, for example. Um, and the the entire concept of the show is that humans are able to use this power but that there's one rule to it which is that you have to sacrifice as much as you gain it's called equivalent exchange so you have to use enough energy and provide enough source material in order to get the trans the transmutation that you want uh, the two boys are young alchemists that one of is like 10 the other one's like seven when their mother dies their father abandoned them and so they attempt to try and bring their mother back to life uh, and in doing so the younger brother dies and the older brother loses two of his limbs, the older brother is quickly able to bond his younger brother's soul into a suit of armor that is nearby, uh, thus keeping him alive as the suit of armor. And he, uh, some neighbors, are able to graft some metallic limbs to him to replace his left leg and his right arm, Uh, and it's their quest then to try and regain their bodies as the entire rest of the show. it's good because they find out basically that they need to, in order to recover the bodies that they lost, they have to collect this extremely sought after um, magical substance called a philosopher's stone. And what they discover throughout the premise of the show, throughout the length of the show is that you basically have to sacrifice a bunch of humans in order to create one. And they came across, they come across all these people that have all attempted to do this and attempted to sacrifice this many humans in this many ways. And it's all about their morality of trying to prevent other people from recovering the stone once they realize what it takes to to get one um
0: that that's interesting the idea of that cost that exchange uh has kind of worked its way into dr strange comics uh did you ever read the way of the weird Jeff? yeah
1: yeah I, w- I read the first two volumes
0: so you remember how like it was all about yeah, dr yeah. strange hadn't been paying his cost mm-hmm. and then it like came back to bite him super hard i wonder if they were influenced by full metal in any way, because I actually forgot about that being the reason that the brother got uh, stuck in the suit of armor. Um, now that you finished it, do you think you're gonna watch that really shitty looking uh, live action version that so has I, been on I, the internet?
1: I finished the the first collection. There's a whole another collection called Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and I don't know what the relation to that one is, according to the first one, because I just finished the first fifty episodes of the of the first season but like it from what I saw from the trailer of the next season it looks like Al the younger brother is back in the suit of armor again even though he got freed at the end of the first season so I have to see um, how it all plays out in the next part um, but I'll, I'll probably skip the uh, live-action film they don't they don't always turn out great
0: it looks so bad well it wasn't made in America so at least it wasn't whitewashed but it's just It looks, the special effects look bad, but I know that it has like kind of a following, like a cult following type deal on the internet. Um, All right, Brian, do you have anything, uh, have you been watching anything, reading anything lately?
2: Yeah, actually, uh, typically once our uh, couples viewing um, shows are done for the night, and Anna's calling it early, I'll throw on Avatar, Last Airbender on netflix and i'm dude in- i've
0: been re-watching this too yeah that's sick
2: i'm, I'm in season
0: three now oh maybe? damn i'm only halfway through season you guys one gotta yeah. fuck, dude, Legend of after see dude it's so good i forgot how good. good it is, yeah. it is, I love it is good. It. i've
2: never seen it before i've seen individual episodes but uh i just threw it on as, as kind of background noise while i laid awake and and now i'm like can you just go to sleep so i can put on avatar <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
2: and uh and i've been watching it uncle iroh is, oh, he's, he's so boy. good. Yeah, he's he's my uh, spirit animal, so uh, I've been enjoying that. Yeah. Gets, yeah. His, so, his wait, you didn't, didn't watch... Oh, so sorry. Sorry. You
0: continue. D- you didn't watch it during its first run with, when Jeffrey and I were watching it? I've
2: seen individual episodes, but uh didn't buy it. I, I'm not a cartoon guy. My last cartoon I think I, I fully committed to was Dragon Ball Z back in the live airings. I don't know, maybe, maybe something after that, but once I... Uh, Found ESPN. I started to to convert to non, uh, you know, cartoon watching experiences, and then, you know, I've picked up one now and again. i uh, watched the odd episode of Family Guy. Um, I watched through Futurama, so maybe that's the most recent. But uh,
0: the show's pretty uh, good.
2: Yeah, but Avatar is, is one that I've been embracing. I just you want to be watch. a Bender so bad.
1: You, you got to watch Legend of Korra. It's it's the next Avatar that's after Aang. I honestly would consider it... Uh, I don't know. I, I get some controversial opinions when I talk to people about this, but I would say that Legend of Korra is almost better than the original, um, only because Aang takes place in the mind of like an adolescent child, whereas Korra is like a late teenager by the time that, that her story picks up. Um, and I would also say that the villains in... Legend of Korra are, because she has four seasons, and each one follows a different villain, whereas Aang is one story with one villain, which I guess you could argue is the Fire Lord. Um, But yeah, each of the the villains in Korra are very dynamic and very, uh, I don't
0: know. Well, speaking of anime, I mean, Avatar The Last Airbender is basically an Americanized version of anime, right? Like the creators of that are Americans. It's all Western, right? But it's very influenced by Eastern cultures. As you can tell, each different bender, like bending nation, whatever, um, they all do different types of martial arts. Like, they're all based on different forms of martial arts, which is, I think, really cool. The water is based on Tai Chi. Uh, I think the... Um, I'm going to say things wrong, so I'm just not even going to try to remember it. I don't want to offend anybody. But, um, yeah, I, I really like that show. I also... I mean, I like those creators so much i've watched they have a show on netflix dragon called prince. the dragon prince yeah, yeah. <laughs> i even watched all of that Same. it's it's definitely way more for kids but uh i i i liked that too i thought it was really good um yeah i really liked avatar the last airbender i never finished it i watched some legend of korra but i didn't i, I guess it i was in that age when it was out that i was a little, i felt too old for it but um we're gonna move on to my uh recommendation brian will follow up with you on that see how you're feeling when you get into the later seasons but um so my wife and i you guys know her but the listeners who are never going to hear this episode don't um we've been watching search party on hbo uh, or hbo max i guess it is now Um, they're listing it as a hbo original it's not it was originally on like TMC it was on like a weird uh network that like nobody watches TV on but this show is amazing if you look it up right now on Rotten Tomatoes every all three seasons that are out have like 98 or like percent or higher like they're all really well reviewed and for a good reason like this show is really good um the first season is basically a detective story it's a mystery it's um it's about you know it's a similar present uh premise it's uh for you know 20 somethings in new york who are kind of lost in their life um and then they get wrapped up in this sort of mystery of one of their college friends is missing and uh the main girl is alia shawcott who's in arrested development did you guys watch that show yeah so it's Maybe from Arrested Development, yep. right? Um, and she's incredible in it. It's the, like, I'm really glad to see that she got something else to do. And I didn't realize this, but she's like a genuinely like impressive actress. Like she's really talented, very expressive, um, really good. Uh, I don't know. The characters are really good. You follow them through ups and downs and they're crazy and they're ridiculous. But you also like, like them and want them want the best for them, even though they keep fucking up like they just can't stop messing up it's crazy how often they mess up but you like still keep rooting for them um it kind of reminds me of like a better version of girls which like in the first few seasons i really liked girls but towards the end of it it was just kind of like okay lena dunham i get it like you want to be naked and you want to accept your body but also like the story is like suffering because of you forcing us to look at you like you're not saying anything anymore and this show Maybe it's because it wasn't on HBO originally, so they couldn't just, like, do, you know, aggressive nudity to us. Um, so it made them focus on the story more. Um, and, you know, each season changes. Like, the first season's a mystery. The second season is basically um, a crime story where they kind of flip it, and they're the criminals being tracked by detectives. And then in the third, the third season, it's basically a detective – or a uh, courtroom drama, um, and they and and they follow it and it feels natural it feels really good um it's really 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 funny it's very funny and i strongly recommend it um all right well i say that that's all good for recommendations um we'll move on to the what have you heard section um are there uh, do you guys have any news that you wanted to bring up? Anything that you've heard in the world of entertainment or popular culture or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Um, I was going to mention the Stormlight Book 4. Brandon Sanderson announced that he has finished writing it and they are moving into the publication stage and that's supposed to be coming out at the end of the year. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with the Stormlight Archive, which you know my brothers are not, you guys need to be because it is the best fantasy that is being published today.
2: Period. Oh, published today? I was about to yell blasphemy, but published today, that's, that's fun. I might have gotten there, but I, I knew that it would immediately have brought up a lot of arguments.
1: Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, 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 let's have this argument. Quick version of the argument. Brian, who, what do you think is the best? You're going to have to read it before you can form a counter argument.
2: Three know. chapters in, I feel like I'm qualified to form an opinion. Oh, shit.
0: <laughs> what would you say, though, Brian?
2: Best fantasy of all time.
0: Published. So, novel series. So, books, yeah. Dude.
2: That's... I mean, uh, this is, <laughs> is going to take a whole podcast, my friend.
0: I mean, that's that's like saying, like, this is by far the best band ever. Like, or this album is the best album ever recorded. It's like, how can you possibly say that? There's so many series that you've never read that, you know, that, or maybe they just don't strike you, but, like, would be more widely considered... You know, like yeah. Lord of the Rings or Harry to, Potter.
2: You'd have to also do things like um, section off your argument. Like, I think books written in different times, it's kind of like comparing the best baseball player now with Babe Ruth. It, it just, the conversation kind of just flatlines at a certain extent where you just accept that in different times, books are written different ways. Um, I, then there might be a little bit more crossover than sports, but, you know, for the most part, I, I don't know if I would compare Harry Potter to Lord of the Rings. I think that. They're just written in different, you know, generations. And, you know, I think they each just hit super hard in their own different way. Um, Well,
0: also, also, you have to you have to consider the fact that like without like Lord of the Rings is really good. And in the same way that Chronicles of Narnia is really good as like a fantasy sort of story. But without those books, books like Harry Potter, couldn't exist right or i mean might exist but they would exist in a different context right because that harry potter really like lord of the rings though and chronicles and Narnia have to open the doors for harry potter to walk through right because yeah. it's so based in that world and like that our existence of knowing or excuse me they're, nece- they're uh it's necessary for us to you know know about those kinds of worlds right so i guess that's different but brian Off top, best fantasy series of any books you've ever read. I want to hear it. Um, If we're just going for overall quality,
2: I guess I'll just do the safe option and pick uh, Lord of the Rings um, just because it's just so complete. Um, And because we're only talking about novels, if we're lumping in all media related to Um, those worlds and those storylines, I will say they, they took a heavy hit when the Hobbit movies came out.
0: Um, yeah, but the Hobbit book is incredible.
2: The Hobbit book is incredible. So if we're just talking about the writing, it's Lord of the Rings. I think I will say I very much enjoyed Game of Thrones book one. Um, but I might die by the time the, uh, the books are finished. So those just kind of immediately get taken off the table. Did did you guys
1: see that someone posted on Reddit an old interview of George R. R. Martin from like the early two thousands where he said if he doesn't have the like so just after he finished the last book he said if he doesn't have hit this book the book that he's working on finished by like a week ago then he'll kill himself. We could kill him. Yeah, Yeah. he'll kill himself or something. And someone someone posted that interview on Reddit and was like,
0: "All right, George R. Martin, you know that." You know that nerd was just sitting there like once he saw that interview he was like I'm going to set a reminder on that day I'm going to download this video. And
2: my big fear with uh with those books is that he decides to stick with the same endings as the show. And let me let me say I totally understand all the arguments that he basically had the perfect um, like test audience with the show to kind of like check out how people responded to his endings. but
0: Which is my argument. That's what I've been saying. My since big fear is
2: early on in the show, they knew that they were going to pass up the book production and they met with him and got his notes on the ending. Like, I remember this big old thing about how they were the three people alive that knew how the story ends and, and like knew exactly what his framework was going to be. And mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that he was comfortable with them completely changing what his plan was. So, so no. for the so, most part, I think the show is an indicator of what his plan was. He's just going to be able to insert more detail and make it make sense. It's, it's not That's even so kind much of my best hope, but right now I'm, I'm really concerned.
1: It's, it's not even so much about detail. There's, there's so many other moving parts that are introduced in the book that have to come to completion that he's put so much more work in. Like, obviously, we're not going to get into it right now, but like Azora High and the dragon egg that uh, the, the Greyjoy has, Euron has, and all so many different moving parts that have to be included in some other asset of this grand finale that the show couldn't even touch on because they didn't have the time to.
0: Well, and, and brand the broken felt like such a tacked on moment at the end of the series. It was just kind of like, what the fuck? Like we didn't have any time to like really like get to know this character as like this God like figure that he's become. But George R. R. Martin or germ as I like to call him has way more time in these, you know, 2,000-page tomes that he writes to, like, you know, introduce us to his world. And, like, he could spend, you know, just because the most recent book that came out almost had or had very little brand in it doesn't mean the next book isn't going to be 90% brand. You know what I mean? Like, who knows how much time, you know, as readers we might have with him. Not that I'm ever going to go back and read those books. I read the first one in high school and hated it. I thought it was so weird. How George R. R. Martin focused on uh, the rape scenes and like the sexualization of Khaleesi, even though he clearly mentioned that she was like 14. I thought that was really weird, and I really didn't like it, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. It made him feel really perverted, which we all know is true because he was being really creepy towards Amelia Clark at a lot of those pre- early press conferences. Um, so, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean that he's not a good writer and it doesn't mean that he's like a bad person. I don't I'm not trying to say that, but I do feel like he can be kind of creepy sometimes. Anyway. Um so, uh for me, I'm not gonna go super heavy on the news this episode because I wanna jump into the actual discussion and get get us on with it. But there was one thing I did wanna bring up, and that is uh something that kind of took the internet by storm in nerd circles, um, which is this uh, Star Wars fan uh, rearranged the titles of the movies to better describe what happens in the movies. Did you guys see this or hear about this? It kind of went viral. Oh, Jeff, he, you saw yeah. it? Yep. All right. So I'm going to read the list, and I'm going to see how you guys uh, feel about it. But first, uh, can anyone name all the titles in order besides me? You don't, not, I mean, you can do it in order that they came out or in chronological order if you'd like. It's only nine titles, guys.
1: I, I can do it in my sleep. Let's see if Brian can do it.
2: Uh, number six is Empire Strikes Back. All right, he's in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're in <laughs> trouble. <laughs> I don't know. It's Star Wars one, Star Wars two, kiss my ass. There we go. All
1: right, number one, Phantom Menace. Number two, Attack of the Clones. Number three, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Number four, A New Hope. Number five is Empire Strikes Back. Number six is Return of the Jedi. Number seven is Force Awakens. Number eight is... Um, uh, the worst one. <laughs> it's uh, The Last Jedi. And then the last yep. one is The Rise of Skywalker.
0: Yes, that is right. Now, before I jump into this real quick, I want to say that I think Star Wars as uh, a brand has some of the worst titles I've always thought that they were dumb I always thought A New Hope was stupid I think Empire Strikes Back is cool Uh, and I think uh, Return of the Jedi was lame and then Phantom Menace is pointless I genuinely don't understand why that title came about um Attack of the Clones is dumb (laughs) yeah okay so What we're going to jump into right now is this new title. Tell me how you guys feel about this. Um, Episode one, retitled with The Rise of Skywalker to highlight the origin of Anakin Skywalker, because that's the first episode that Anakin is introduced. Episode two becomes Revenge of the Sith due to Palpatine's plot coming to fruition. Right. Because we find out about Palpatine a little bit more. Episode 3 becomes Attack of the Clones, because that's when the clones actually turn on the Jedi Order and attack. Episode 4 then becomes Return of the Jedi, as Obi-Wan helps to get Luke on his path to becoming a Jedi, so the Jedi are actually returning. Episode 5 then becomes The Force Awakens, to highlight Luke learning more about his abilities. That's probably the one I disagree with the most. Episode six would be changed to the last Jedi since Luke is then the last known Jedi by the end of the movie. Uh, Then we get into episode seven, the Empire Strikes Back due to the First Order uh, rising from the Empire's ashes, right? A new version of the Empire. Um, Episode eight becomes a new hope because Rey is the new hope, right? Because Luke sacrifices himself. So now he passes on the mantle of the last hope to Rey and Episode nine becomes The Phantom Menace because Palpatine returns from the dead. Do we agree with these titles? Do we have opinions on this? Uh, Brian, do you agree that those are better? Would you be able to remember them if they came out in that order?
2: Still wouldn't be able to remember them, but uh, I think they are a little bit better thought out. Um, I'm still waiting for one focused on uh, Darth Jar Jar Binks because I was really banking on that theory coming true uh, really I always like that theory I too feel, feels like another uh, one where they just really should have uh, gone with a different ending there
0: yeah we should do a whole episode on fan theories I think because that's one of my favorite fan theories because they do really show him to be a bumbling fool but then there's moments where it's like okay is he a fool or is there something else going on here and then that part where he's the one that makes the vote to um, To, you know, disband the democracy and give the emperor, you know, his powers in episode three. That's a pretty big, you know, damning moment for him. And also there's like moments of George Lucas on set when they're filming the uh, uh, episode one where he's straight up saying like Jar Jar is the key to all of this, guys. He's really important, you know, like. I mean, p- and it's people. like, OK, maybe he did have like a bigger plan for Jar Jar. That, you know? that,
1: those behind the scenes footage is exactly what spawned this entire thing. But you have to remember George Lucas's biggest priority in making these films is merchandising. He's trying to create a character that kids would enjoy. And he was hoping he could cash in big on Jar
0: Jar. And as a prequel apologist and someone who was like right at that prime age when episode one came out, I can tell you that uh, Jar Jar Binks was probably my favorite character coming out of that. I know adults hated him. And now when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this character is so annoying. But at the time, I really liked him. I thought he was great. Um, I'm sure, Jeff, you were even younger than I was. So, yep all right uh so we're gonna end the news segment and we're gonna jump into a topic that jeff actually decided on so jeff i'm gonna let you preface it but we're gonna be talking about uh war movies the best war movies and uh under the structure or you know under the guise of talking about uh 1917 so jeff why did you want to talk about this sure um
1: I wanted to talk about 1917. The reason why I suggested it was because I wanted it to win Best Picture of last year. I, I remember walking out of that movie theater. It's was probably the first time in a long time where I walked out truly stunned from a film and, and having to process it. Um, and uh, it's just a movie I remember. I know I called Tyler several days later and talked to him for a length of time. And I've talked to multiple people who have seen it. I always try and get anyone that hasn't seen it to watch it so we can discuss it. Um, and I'll get into the points later for the discussion, but I just thought that, personally, I would say it's my favorite war film of all time at the moment. Um, Yeah, that's
0: big. Bold. Bold
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons that I would say, for example, one of the things I love about the film is the fact that they have all of the war atrocities constantly, frequently, throughout the set, but they don't ever really shove it in your face. I mean, they do at points like when the main characters, spoilers for anyone who uh, hasn't seen the film, um when the main character's hand goes through a corpse like obviously that's right in your face but throughout the film you get you know swollen bodies and dead bodies constantly all over the place and dead dogs and all kinds of the things that are the causalities of war um and it's just frequent it's something you don't really notice on your first watch and as you watch back you go wow like it's it's everywhere as far as a, a period war drama, it really delivers on that
0: front. Okay, but what what is it about the movie that made you think that it deserved Best Picture or that puts it at the forefront of your mind for Best War Movie? Sure. Uh,
1: so the cinematography of the film, I, I would say, is the main reason why I think it, it de- deserved the um, Best Picture nomination or Best Picture um, award. Uh The the cinematographer, the the director was able to complete the filming in a way that most people believed or a lot of people believed that it was done in one shot. Obviously, we know that that's not what happened, but it is pretty convincing when you watch it to think that that's what happened. Like they they pulled it off in such a glorious way that it literally there's no break in action until the main character gets knocked unconscious. Um, It just seems like one continuous point Um, as far as real
0: quick oh sorry go ahead go ahead i was gonna say real quick jumping into that point because that's that's probably the main point for me that you know we you and i really talked about um the right after i had seen it because i think i talked to you like right after i watched it i called you like right afterwards because you guys had both seen it before i i had the chance to uh because my wife does not like war movies so we do not watch them together i have to watch them without her um but uh the thing that we were talking about was the cinematography and the direction Uh, for to preface that real quick um, Sam Mendes directed the movie Um, Sam Mendes known for Skyfall and for Spectre the James Bond movies which Skyfall is great Spectre is a movie and uh, cinematography done by Roger Deakins who if you are a fan of film you know who Roger Deakins is because he's a cinematographer behind movies like uh, Skyfall um fargo uh blade runner 2049 which i maintain is one of the most beautiful movies ever put to film uh sicario hail caesar uh prisoners which is another denny villeneuve movie which is very incredible um in time which i think is a bad movie but brian i think you like that one that's a justin, justin timberlake. timberlake one you remember that one yeah brian yeah uh, i do That's <laughs> a good movie He's really well known uh, to have worked with the Coen brothers on most of their, you know, most, uh, you know, incredible films um, like True Grit and, you know. honestly too many coen brothers i'm not even gonna jump into all of them uh another one that he did though that was like i think the first one that i really started paying attention to cinematography was in uh the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford which is i think a very underrated movie i really love that movie but really it was the cinematography in that that really blew my mind um it's just so beautiful. It's, it, he, just, he can get so much in the lens of the camera that just I, don't, I, don't, I genuinely just don't understand how he's able to do it. But, um, yeah, in uh, 1917, I mean, the colors in that movie and the way that they framed each color, I genuinely thought that there might be some sort of story that they were trying to tell with just the color theory. Like, I thought that, like, each section had its very specific colors. Like, the first section was sort of a brown. And then the, section, se- the second section, all the way up until his friend died, was sort of a green. And then he moves into the fire area where it's very red and orange and yellow, and you get a lot of that. And it's just black and red is basically all you see in that scene. And like all the light sources coming from a candle um, and, or a flame, like that's it. And then it moves into blue, which made me feel like maybe there was a rebirth, like maybe it was his descension into hell and then him rising back out of hell. And then that final scene where he's running, it's all grays and blacks. Um, and I really thought that there was something to that. I haven't really put too much thought into it since Jeffrey, you and I had that conversation. But I think that Roger Deakins cinematography, it just, it knocked the piss out of my penis. It blew my mind. <laughs> I could not comprehend what was going on. It was just too pretty. It was just amazing. He really is something else. Uh, Brian? I know that you saw it. Did you? How did you feel about it?
2: Yeah, I'm echoing a lot of the same sentiment. I, I thought it was is pretty well made. To be honest with you, I'm I i can not really uh, say anything about the uh, piss in my penis, but uh, <laughs> I,
0: thought, I thought it was really well made. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about like? Okay, so so real quick, Jeff, to to kind of take it away from 1917 and kind of more talk about um, war movies in general. What is it about war movies, do you think? Because I know that I really love war movies, Brian. I know that you're on the same boat. Like, I know that you're a big fan of Band of Brothers and, uh, you know, whatever. Anything that really kind of takes you into that. Saving Private Ryan, I know, is like another uh, big one for me and for Brian that we've talked about a lot. Jeff, not so much with you. I don't know if I have ever really talked to you about war movies as much, but I know Brian and I have watched several together and really like them. But what do you guys think it is about war movies that kind of captures our attention and why do they keep getting made? I mean, I don't know. Is there anything that you can think of? Go ahead, Brian.
2: I was going to say, I think there's just so many stories to tell. Um, And I think that, you know, especially with world wars more than any other, um, they just have such a wide range of impact on families and, you know, just generations of people. I don't think that, um, those are going away anytime soon. I think you could just take so many different angles. I think traditionally you would just see you know the story following the soldier on the front line or you know going through whatever in the army. but more recently you've been seeing the movie Fury where it's following a tank you know a team of guys that are running a tank and you see um, what's that? Dunkirk where it's really you know, talking about, you know, the precarious position on the ground, but then it was also covering, you know, in the air. Um, you see ones where they're covering the POW side of things, like uh, Unbreakable. Is it Unbreakable with Unbroken. Angelina Jolie? Un- Unbroken. 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 And, uh, yeah,
0: and Rambo, too. Yeah, you just, it covers,
2: <laughs> it covers so many different, um, or, or I guess the genre is now covering so many different angles of the same stories that, um, there's just a lot of material to cover there's a lot of emotion to draw on uh there's a lot of you know visuals that you can introduce there um i i just i just don't think um those are going away anytime soon i just think it's such a vast and popular topic that uh it's just going to continue
0: yeah jeff what about you what do you think it is that kind of grabs onto the consciousness
1: i mean i think you have to look back on why people watch film like you have to understand that story structure relies on conflict and i think that war is an ultimate example of conflict um that that it gives as far as a physical like you'll notice there's not a lot of plays about war um it's it's when you go to movies and watch movies it's about watching these people act and they need conflict to draw on for these emotions and war is such a um combination of different things. I mean you get action, so anyone that's led to see action is, you know, prevalent constantly. You get drama because these people are going through some of the worst psychological hell that a human can be subjected to. Um you know, and, and then I don't know. The concept of war allows the viewer to experience all of these uh emotions that are happening because of this extreme conflict. Like For example, my favorite moment of Saving Private Ryan is the brevity that you get before the major battle where uh, Private Ryan is talking about the last time that his brothers were together. Um, Uh, Yeah,
0: and Matt Damon, uh, that's such a good scene for Matt Damon. It really shows his ability, you know, as an actor to you know, go through the the, telling the story and then crying because he knows that he's never going to see any of his brothers again. It's heartbreaking. Yeah.
1: And, and that human moment, that moment of brevity comes through so clearly and strongly in that film that has so many different scenes of, of sadness and action and pain and anger. Um, and for example, my personal favorite scene in 1917, uh, is the moment when he collapses by the tree and is listening with all the other soldiers to the man singing, uh, um, the song the name escapes me for the moment but um yeah i listened to it like a
0: thousand times after i saw that movie yeah <laughs> just just watching not that's only johnny his Cash's song
2: isn't it what? what was that brian isn't it you're talking about when he's singing in front of the whole regiment yeah when yeah, yeah that's a johnny cash song i think it's not no, just johnny it's not. cash
1: it's an old english folklore it's called a poor wayfaring Folk stranger song. um yeah, right. ah, a I lot of people was johnny cash original johnny cash did sing it and so did ed sheeran johnny and cash,
0: jack white johnny and cash Sorry, Sorry Johnny ahead. Cash is known to have, to be a, a traditional folk singer. So he did a lot of covers of like very classic folk songs in his own, you know, kind of Western rock twang. So a lot of his songs, like uh, uh, "How High Is the Water, Mama," that's like a very old, old, old Southern folk song and yeah. stuff like that. So that's kind of his thing. But anyway,
1: yeah. so so, so that that moment where he kind of collapses and he has that extreme breakdown, while also you know just. Basic human enjoyment of the song um, is a big moment that comes through for me. Um, Other films you guys mentioned Dunkirk, like you know you get the the conflict of the soldier that doesn't want to go back to war, so he tries to take over the boat, and that you know extreme angst that you get that that actor his name escapes me as well. Um,
0: We can't go back, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy, yeah, he's really great in that scene too.
1: Yeah, that scene comes through as such a human moment, and what I'm trying to get through is that war creates all of that angst and turmoil and and just general conflict that allows you to witness these actors perform extreme human emotion
0: yeah yep i agree (laughs) um all right let's let's talk about some of the best war movies i mean jeffrey you touched on a bunch of them but brian i know that you probably have watched them more than i have because you are the king of re-watching movies over and over again uh, why don't you give me some of the ones that you can think of right off the top of your head?
2: So first off, I am the type of guy that will go into a restaurant for a decade and order the same food off the menu every time. So I have no problem saying that I, I do repeat stuff. If you like something, why not enjoy it more than once? Um, and real
0: quick, I just want to say I'm the type of guy who one time unironically posted on Facebook that Transformers... Uh, Dark of the Moon was the best movie he had ever seen because I genuinely felt that way after walking out of that movie. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the best uh, person to ask what the best movies are.
2: Yeah, and I'll be honest, the other day I was kind of uh, teasing you guys about uh, a secret reveal for best war movie of all time, but we've, we have mentioned it on this uh, talk already. I, I, I think i got to go with the safe route here again and, and say uh, Saving Private Ryan is the best war movie of all time. Although. I did look it up on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and anyone want to care to guess in the top hundred where Saving Private Ryan ranked?
0: Hundred. Number one
2: hundred. That's your guess for Saving Private Ryan. Where's your <laughs> respect?
0: Is it? Did you say top one hundred war movies or top, top one hundred
2: war movies, and that's any war, not just focusing on a particular? I story. would yeah, say it's, gotta it's probably top top five. in the top
0: three. Yeah, top, top five. To five. Top three, top five. top five. I would have
2: guessed the same thing. It's number thirty-eight. Oh wow! Out What's out of hundred? One?
0: What gets number one on that?
2: Um, it's one you're gonna recognize, although I've never seen it. It's one of the older flicks that I typically avoid. Is it Bridge over the River Kwai? It is. Just double checking. Casab- be- Casablanca, nineteen
0: forty-two. Uh, oh wow, that uh, that movie's I barely a war that. movie. It just takes think, place during World War Two. I think that's I, uh, I, can-
2: I think that's a common theme, as a lot of them just kind of have a like um, they they have Lincoln on here in the top like forty. But it's doesn't you don't see a lot of war. Um, Dunkirk is in the top five. It's
0: number four. Wow, that's dumb. I wouldn't put that movie even in my top ten probably of war movies. I've yeah, just I thought it was I just think. okay. It didn't really blow my mind. Um, I mean, I liked it a lot, but it does. Uh, it was just I, the part that I didn't like was Christopher Nolan doing his thing where he like. And I love Christopher Nolan. He's probably my favorite director, if not my you know he's one of the top five for sure for me but he did that thing where he just has to fuck with time every time he does a movie. Like he always has to do something different every single time and always, it's starting to frustrate me to an extent where I'm just kind of like, dude, we get it. And now his new movie, Tenet, is a time travel movie, which I love time travel, so I'm okay with it, but it's just like, man, he's really obsessed with time. He can't handle it. Anyway, Brian, please continue. Where, Where are you gonna go? Hurt Locker
2: is in the top 10, it's number eight. Um, I thought that one was pretty good although that again was good. I guess maybe they're just looking at the, the actual production quality versus what interested me which is weird because my list is way more accurate and not anything like this one um, yeah the rest of the top ten are kind of bizarre ones I've never heard of other than Apocalypse Now came in at number ten yeah but fun fact uh, my one of my other ones that's in my top five for sure Braveheart barely made the top hundred um, that was insulting and I'm calling
0: somebody to complain I'm gonna, <laughs> you're gonna call, but I mean, is that on IMD, IMDb? Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, Braveheart is an interesting example. I mean, it's it's undoubtedly a war movie, but it kind of falls into almost a sword and sandals kind of uh, like topic of war, right? The way that, you know, like, you know, you put Gladiator in there, you would put, uh, kingdom of heaven i mean there's not a lot of sandals to be seen but it's that that idea of like this like very ancient form of war that i don't know that you necessarily i mean it's definitely a war movie and it deals with the horrors of war and carries a lot of those themes but also you're learning about like or you're seeing how these people lived and like you know that sort of thing i mean would you consider game of thrones a war tv show I mean, it—the whole show is based on a war, but it's not really about the war, right? It's about the fantasy, historical fantasy setting, right? And I would say that Braveheart falls into that. I mean, I don't get me wrong—I think it's a great movie, and some of those battle scenes are harrowing, right? Like it's truly incredible and and horrifying all at once. Um, but I—I I don't know if I would put it in the. I guess when I think of war movies, I think of World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, war. Korea. Iraq, uh, you know, the, the our war in the Middle East as Americans, um, you know, those kinds of things. I think of those kinds of movies more when I think of war movies. and those Would you other consider ones, the Civil think War in ones, that list? Probably, although I, I got to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of movies that are based in the Civil War. I mean, what's Glory? I've seen Glory. <laughs> I've seen uh, Free State of Jones takes place a little bit. Uh, right before it um i never saw that though it didn't it didn't really look good and i heard it wasn't very good so i never saw it but um i don't know i guess brian to back to your point saving private ryan is one of the ones that i think of um the most and it's probably the one i've seen the most right um of all of these just because I mean first of all first off it's the goat it's it's a spielberg film right like you got it like you got to watch it if it you know i've seen i think almost every single one of his movies even uh munich which was not great but it's fine you know i just i think that if it's a spielberg movie it's it's there's a good chance it's not going to be bad Uh, i know he directed brian's favorite movie of all time ready player one Hey Brian, no, no, reaction. That's
2: a good movie. I'm not no, it's to... not. Yeah, it it's is. Not a good movie. Yeah, hey Brian,
1: You're tell high. me where tell me where Lawrence of Arabia is on that list.
2: you can make me go through the whole thing. It only shows ten at a time. All right,
0: Control F and search for cool. it, dude.
2: But yeah, sorry. Anyway,
0: I don't want to talk that, about Jeff, I don't really want to
1: talk about Lawrence of Arabia. I just I watched it in high school, and that, that takes place during World War One. Here's something
0: interesting.
2: Made the top hundred too fury did to mm-hmm.
0: see that's, that's another that's one i like i like that movie a lot but like i wouldn't put it very high on my i mean i guess out, out of a hundred it would probably make it somewhere in a hundred but i just i don't, it's not one of the ones that like i'm ever going to go back and be like oh like look at this scene although i did like the scene where shia labeouf is talking to logan lerman's character at the dinner and he's talking about how like you don't know what we've seen like you're new to this war like we've been through it like we've lost so many people like you know blah 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 whatever and like he's crying and he's yelling and he's so angry because you know he's been through such shit and I mean I think that's kind of usually the scene in every war movie that I um, gravitate towards to or like it really grabs me is when that person is just like in the shit they're dealing with it and it's killing them and like they don't know what to do and they're losing it yeah kind of like a american out. sniper yeah yeah well, or like mostly when they're in the shit you know what i mean when they're actually in it and like the bullets are flying or like um yeah that I mean, scene in uh saving private ryan where the coward uh guy um can't kill the other dude even though, like or whatever you know what i mean can't save his friend yeah. and then lets his friend die because he's just too scared and whatever right like it's it's that moment where it's like you really feel that human emotion of being like, how would I it puts you in that person's place and like be like, it's easy to be like, no, I would pick up the gun and kill that guy. Would you like, are you that kind of person? Because that's the moment, right? That, that's the moment that you test. And I think that that's probably the reason, in my opinion, that's probably the reason that, you know, every single director ha- like that's worth anything in Hollywood has a war movie under their belt in some way or another. And I think that's the main reason. Chris Chris Nolan did Dunkirk is because he wanted to be in those ranks. You know, Steven Spielberg's done several war movies. You know, how's Schindler's List? Is that in that top one hundred? I bet it is. I'm still
2: searching. I have not seen Lawrence of Arabia. I know I saw Schindler's List on here. Um, Oh, Schindler's List number twenty
0: one. There you go. Yeah, I mean that is. I mean that's another one of those movies I'd put in like my top 10 movies of all time. Not in my of movies that I think are my favorite movies, but just as like best highest, movies highest ever made. quality. Yeah, just incredible to like just a, such a epic story that's just ah, so well done. Lawrence yeah. of Arabia number 9. Oh, wow, Jeff nailing it with the top 10. That's incredible. Um anyway, back to my point. I think that there it's that human moment where it's like it's really showing you like could you do this? I think the only person who uh, who has directed a war movie who really didn't do that is uh um, you know one of my least favorite directors who's i've seen every single one of his movies for some reason uh, Quentin Tarantino with inglorious bastards directed a war movie and somehow was able to strip the human uh, part of it one hundred percent away from the story right like nobody in that is a You know human being they're all weird caricatures right comes off better um, as a screenplay than a
1: film I still love and glorious bastards yeah I
0: think it's his best movie but like you know it's still just like it's kind of like damn all right Tarantino like you really just don't know how to write people like real people it's all it's basically just a moving stage play with him you know it's all just dialogue and bullshit I don't know Tarantino I hope you're listening because I hate you um your weird foot fetish just making me look at feet all the time. Get it, dude? You're weird. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, what is it? What? What are we trying to say here? Like, Jeff, do you think that this is really legitimately the best war movie that you've ever seen? Uh, I do.
1: I think that the one of the most powerful things about 1917 uh, is the simplicity of the plot. The plot comes through so clearly, and it's such a cyclical story unfortunate that it's untrue or maybe i don't know um it's like
0: it's like a he, sam Mendez said that it's i mean at the end it says like thank you grandpa yeah it's, it's his grandpa told him
1: stories but there's no actual validation no one's been able to prove whether or not this story actually happened uh, no, no
0: no no it didn't happen you can say that 100 percent this did not happen he wrote this story based on in a way it's sort of like uh the odyssey right it's It's Odysseus is traveling between things and then little stories happen along his journey, right? It's the same thing with this. It's he's on a journey and little things happen. It's Dante's Inferno, right? It's his descent into hell and the people he meets there and then his way back out, right? It's that idea. It's that they're following that kind of trajectory. And so anyway, continue.
1: But like I was saying, so the story picks up with two characters sleeping under a tree um, and the story ends with the main character sleeping under a tree miles away. Um, the story takes place almost over, over, almost over a 24, almost, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, almost an exactly 24-hour period. Um, it takes place, starts off in the morning and it ends the following morning. Um, I, I think that the use, I mean, the, the actor that they used, he's been in other films, but he's not super famous, I would say. Um, they use a really, really strong supporting cast of Colin Firth and Mark Strong and Benedict Cumberbatch, but each of these people are only in the film for, like, 45 seconds at a time. Um, yeah. and Rob
0: Stark makes his way in at the end. Yeah, yeah,
1: Richard Madden, And uh, the, the fact that they, you know, they I don't know how much they shelled out to have each of these actors, but, like, the, the fact that they're, they're barely used and they're so, you know, playing characters that you don't even recognize them, they're not taking over the film at any one point. Um, and it's literally just about this one character and his journey, and there's not a lot of subplot. There's not a lot of, of diversions from the main story, which is this guy just has a mission, and he has to go do it. You don't find out any of the loose ends of what happened to the girl that he met or, you know, what happened to the company of soldiers that gave him a ride. Right. You, don't, you don't find out any of that. It's literally just this one guy's story, and it's this massive cyclical structure of this guy going from his waking up from sleep and going back to sleep the next day, um, just the craziest twenty four hour period that's ever happened to a, a character in film.
0: Uh, I don't know if you can say that, but um, that's pretty crazy. I mean, Martin Lawrence in Blue Streak experiences a pretty crazy twenty four hours. Guys, I don't know if that actually takes place over twenty four hours, but it doesn't. Still it takes place over weeks. But. I don't think it takes place over weeks. I think it's like a forty-eight-hour movie. That movie's like forty-eight hours long or something. Really, I need to rewatch that. That movie's great. Martin Lawrence is is the king. Um, all right, let's do a wrap up. Um, final thoughts, Brian. Final thoughts. We didn't really get into your argument for best war movies. No
2: argument needed. I think uh, Saving Private Ryan speaks for itself. Uh, if let's put it this way, if you can have a movie so quality and so Uh, brimming to the gills with acting chops. That Vin Diesel is a side character that dies in the first twenty minutes. He doesn't die in the
0: first twenty. He dies like
2: first First twenty five minutes. He does like storming the the beach. They find a a local family. He tries to save the daughter and gets gunned down. the storming of the beach is like twenty
1: minutes by itself.
2: Right, and then the next five minutes they go beyond (laughs) the barbed wire. In the Gatlin guns, and the fool gets shot. It's like an hour into the film. All right, I'm going to look this up because I just want to say I told you so. If it's closer to 25 minutes than an hour, you're calling me daddy. <laughs> I, I most certainly am not.
0: Not on recording, at least. Come on, Jeff, you got to do it. I, I, uh, I second this bet. I'm the calling him daddy commissioner here. But Jeff, you were also agreeing show. with this,
1: so you would have to call him daddy.
0: <laughs> no, I'm I, not I'm doing refusing it. He was talking bet. to you when he said it. Um, okay. Yeah, sure. I think Saving Private Ryan. I mean, okay, but what are, like, what would you say is your top three, Brian? Let's wrap up with this. Top three from everybody. Brian, you got Saving Private Ryan. I'm okay with you using Braveheart or any of those Kingdom of Heaven or Gladiator or something. Hey, I Man's will song. say,
2: it. I talked to you guys about this the other day, but worth mentioning, Kingdom of Heaven I always had, it's just kind of a good movie or an entertaining movie. Um, always disappointed that it. all the best characters all die in the first, like, 10 minutes, but... You know, hey, the same thing with Saving Private Ryan, so I can't really knock Kingdom of Heaven. Are uh, you saying
0: Vin Diesel was the best character in that movie? No,
2: no, but uh, <laughs> hey, we're getting besides the point here. But uh, the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven uh, on YouTube, I watched it while I'm just kind of lightly working, um, and it is much better. There's a lot more context. There's a lot more additional scenes that kind of explain relationships and kind of play out relationships that kind of just get. Uh, Pushed to the side in the, in the thea- theatrical version, worth a watch, um, and definitely elevated, although, yeah, I, it might be close, to be honest with you. I, you know, I, I'll stick with Saving Private Ryan. Um, I love Braveheart. I just got uh, Mel Gibson soft spot in my heart right next to Tom Cruise for some reason, although they're both pretty despicable in real life from everything I've seen. Um, and- you know, Mel
0: Gibson was in another really good war movie. Yeah, yeah. You
2: What's know it, yeah. What is it uh, called, the, Brian? The Vietnam yeah. one. What's it called? No.
0: Oh, uh, We Were Soldiers,
2: I We think. Were Soldiers, yeah. Uh,
0: no, that's not even the one I was thinking of. I was thinking of Gallipoli, the Australian-produced movie about the only famous battle the Australian troops were in during World War II where they all got killed. (laughs) Oh, wow. The whole movie is about... Maybe let's not laugh about
1: Australian (laughs) death.
0: (laughs) I just think that it's funny that that's their main war movie. Like, that's their claim to fame. Remember, we were all a part of this battle where we just got decimated. (laughs) Well,
1: Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman's Australia takes place during World War II. It's about civilians surviving during the invasion, the Japanese invasion of Australia. Um.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: that movie sucked um, <laughs> <laughs> Gallipoli is, is a good movie I actually really like it and it's I think maybe the earliest movie with Mel Gibson and there's a scene where he enters a foot race um, on like the army training thing and he doesn't have shoes so he just runs it barefoot and he just blows everyone's doors off and at the end his feet are all bloody and then they're like oh okay you're gonna be our new message runner and that's, like, his, his story. He, like, runs messages back and forth because he's so fast. And then at the end, they all go, oh, you know what? Maybe it's a World War I movie because they all go up over into No Man's Land and sprint towards the enemy. And, is, uh, is, it,
2: uh, is he fast enough to run a message across No Man's Land to Benedict Cumberbatch who's sitting there waiting <laughs> with one eye?
0: Dude, that scene was harrowing. I was like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. And then can, he made it if,
2: and can you imagine if he just blew up and then
0: roll credits? I, credits. I was like, oh my God, he's going to die. He's gonna, or he's going to get shot and then he's going to die in the trench. I watched and an like, interview the
1: with the director on like, I don't know, the Today Show or the morning show or something. I don't know which show it was, but he, he was like, he said there's too many actors to give direction. So they just said, look, like you're, you're just going to sprint in a straight line. Um, like, do whatever feels natural fucking
0: shoulder checks that dude. Yeah. That that was
1: not, that was not included. It was literally just like that guy decided he was going to run into the main character. Yeah. That
2: guy uh, saying workers comp out of the film because he was pissed when he stood up.
0: Yeah. There you go. Uh, All right. So Brian, top three, top three, private Ryan,
2: saving private Ryan, uh, Braveheart's great. Uh, fury was phenomenal. Um,
0: so, uh, two or three. I'll, I'll go with those copy. three.
2: Just, I mean, you can talk me out of out of one or two of them, but
0: Saving Private Ryan, I will lock in at number one. All right, Jeff, what do you got? You got 1917.
1: You yep. got. I'd, I'd definitely say Saving Private Ryan is my number two spot. It was definitely my favorite war film before I'd seen 1917, um, and my number three is going to be uh, uh, 300.
2: Hmm. Oh, see, we got to really define these. This thing. See like, that's the just... part
0: where that's that's the th- same thing I'm saying with Braveheart is is that a war? I mean, it is absolutely it is about about a, a war. Right. If we just said
2: World War movie, maybe it'll you know specify this a little bit more.
1: Yeah, you want to talk about modernized war? That's different, but yeah,
0: maybe it's modern war movies. Maybe that's what we we sh- we should have specified too. So maybe we do need to figure out what we're talking about. But I, I mean, it's not it's not outside of the realm of the con the you know like there is a justification for calling Braveheart a war movie. I mean, it is groups of men fighting right so i I don't know i just don't want to limit the conversation too much but i do think that maybe we got a little off topic but i would say my top three i mean you got to go with the great michael bay's uh um pearl harbor probably number one (laughs) brian's nodding like i he thinks i'm serious but that would be a (laughs) sale yeah she's very beautiful jennifer garner's in it as like a side character like as the ugly friend which is crazy um no. Uh so yeah, definitely but uh Pearl Harbor, probably Wind Talkers with Nick Cage. <laughs> and uh what's my third one? Um I don't know. I, I guess my top three I guess I would have to say Saving Private Ryan is up there. Apocalypse now is probably my number one. I just that movie is another one of those movies that I just I have to say is like one of the greatest movies ever made that i will probably never watch again i just have no interest in watching it again it's too dark too heavy too depressing too sad um so apocalypse now and then uh i don't know maybe full metal jacket would fit find its way in there probably just because i have to show kubrick some love but full metal jacket is another one of those ones that's really hard to watch have either of you guys seen that one yeah okay yep. Yeah, it's another one that's just, it's really hard to watch, but it kind of takes you there. But I have to say 1917 is probably somewhere in my top five. Like, that's a movie that I would really like to watch again, just because it was just so incredible. And it takes, it really does take you to that place, right? It takes you to that place where you wonder, like, could I handle this? Would I be able to, you know? Also, a n- real quick props to that scene where his boy gets stabbed. And he dies in camera, and, like, you see the color draining out of him as the blood keeps going out. And it's, like, literally watching him die. I was, I, while I was watching it, I was in an almost empty theater, and I was just, like, breathing so loudly. I was, like, oh, how are they doing this? Like, I, I, I could be mistaken on this, but I feel like they used
2: the, the power of silence in that scene, too, where you're kind of just hearing the sounds of this dude kind of going slowly, and it was just, like...
0: Trying to say something horrible really puts you in the moment. Really, really you feel that. And like you feel the other guy because now, I mean that main character, you feel his death because he was going to save his brother. And now the other guy has to go and save his brother. And he's like, well, I have no, like his stakes aren't in there. You know, he was, he was reticent to even go on this mission. He kind of just got roped in. Mm -hmm. And now the main driving force of the mission is dead, and he still has to do it. He still has to save these men, but now he has to do it alone. Right, and then you with know, the big really reveal at the end of the film,
1: though. the big reveal at the end of the film with the fact that he has a family, which isn't talked about or mentioned, or or it's it's very subtly uh, uh, hinted, hinted at throughout at, the film. Yeah. But the fact that then you realize with all the stuff that he had at stake, and he still had the drive to continue the mission. Yeah,
0: Agreed. phenomenal. Agreed. All right, great. Well, I think we can wrap it up. Um, I mean, I think every episode at this point, we'll just say like, do you, uh, Jeff, do you have any, um, like, do you have like plug your social medias? If you want, you know, to be like, follow me on Instagram at Jeff Perry, OA, uh, or whatever. Or if you want to like plug something else that you're doing or like a friend's podcast or, um, something else, Brian, this, you know, would be a part where you would be able to say, uh, you guys can check me out for my sports talk over here on the Redraft, Fantasy Football Podcast. Um, you know what I mean? Things yep. like that. I don't think we necessarily need to do that now. You guys can do that. I'm probably never going to have anything to say uh, for myself. I might just use this as one more last chance to like plug uh, something else that I've been liking, probably. I mean, might... you'd want to tell people to follow the podcast itself. Yeah, well, we need to have a title so that I can create social media stuff, but that's probably what I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we can all, uh, on the count of three, uh, end the recording. So there it is, the recovered first episode ever recorded by the Clever Kids. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. Uh, like I said at the beginning, we have a new email address, CleverKidsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, reach out we'd love to hear from anybody who's actually listening to the show and uh, yeah have a great day everybody